I'm Kyle Woods. Dylan Shore. We're going to talk about Scream and Scream 2. It's our Super Scream-tacular. You should have worked on that before you... Uh... You know, the sad part is I did work on that. I just completely bailed anyway. <laughs> well, I appreciate the effort. Uh, you shouldn't. It wasn't wasn't very much effort. Um, hey, so we watched Scream and Scream 2 today, guys. So if we sound a little burnt out, it's because of that and for no other reasons. Um, it was a fun adventure. How did you feel coming into it? Well, you know me personally. And Scream is a big deal to me. The trilogy in itself is probably my favorite trilogy. I'm sorry. It's I've seen that trilogy the most, probably. Okay. Okay, I mean, I get that. So you've watched these movies a lot. A lot. Okay. How Over a hundred times. Okay, that was going to be my question. Yes. I, I felt it coming. <laughs> okay, so I feel like I've seen these movies, uh, including today, this is maybe my, I don't know, like 12th time, probably less than 20, but I've seen these movies a few times. And especially the first one, you know, it's pretty classic. Uh, yeah, I think I've seen the first one the most. But Scream 2 is pretty, probably close. I think this might be the only the second or third time I've seen Scream 2. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get on Scream 2 later. Let's stick with uh, the classic for now. I mean, what do you say? It's it's filed under classic for a reason. It's yeah. a good freaking movie. It is. And um, a strong opening yeah, yeah. From the very opening, the thing that I had forgotten was that there's actual screaming over the title card for Scream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and almost like a, a pulsing heartbeat, I believe. Yeah, yeah. The score is well applied all around. Oh man, the composer is uh, Marco Beltrami. Fucking that score, even in Scream Two, he came back. It is a flawless, engaging score in my opinion it really is and it's well applied i think towards the middle part of the movie i don't know if we should just i guess we'll just jump right in yeah there's a there's a point in the first scream where spoiler alert guys yeah i don't know if you're listening to a podcast about a 20 year old movie that's i just assume you've watched the movie absolutely but so i almost start to feel like we're casting suspicion on dewey do you get that sense ever uh in yeah, absolutely. There's actually quite a few moments in the first one. Right. And I think a lot of that's driven by the score. There's a there's a very tense string section that underlies about half of his scenes towards the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. So as they're talking about the dad being the red herring, we're also getting this kind of question about Dewey. Yeah, because even in the scene where Billy's already been arrested and... Sid is at Tatum's house mm-hmm. and she gets the phone call from the other killer or you don't know but the killer right the mom is constantly calling for Dewey you just hear Dewey and he's not coming yet and until Sid hangs up the phone does Dewey come out the door so right. it still leaves it very suspicious is it him maybe and the, I can tell you the last one that makes him suspicious is when he asks Gail to go on a walk yeah, let's walk points, this half mile to the car. Yeah, and he points the flashlight in his face. You're not yeah. scared, are you? Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I think that was improv. I think that was uh, David Arquette's moment. I get that, and I, I bet there's a few of those, which is probably a lot of why the movie worked, and it leads me to some questions about the second one. Um, 
Which I guess we'll get there when we get there. But I mean, if you want to jump into that question. Well, no, it's... Okay. Uh, It's a big question up front, which is... The, in the second movie, we spend a lot of time with Courtney Cox and David Arquette. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, when... Because they got married at some point during this, before this, after they this. They were Do you dating know that... at this point. I don't know. I don't think married yet. Okay. It just... We'll get to the second movie. Yeah. They spend a lot of time with David, yeah. Co- uh, David Cox. David <laughs> Arquette. David Arquette and Courtney Cox. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, actually, we can find out here. Yeah, she's still going by Courtney Cox. She's not Courtney Cox Arquette yet. Okay. Opening of Scream. Drew, Barry, Drew Barrymore gives such a strong, strong performance. It's quite frightening. I remember being a little kid. My mom told me she rented this movie called Scream and we were going to watch it tonight. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. And she invited one of her friends over. How so? How old are you at this point? It came out December twentieth, nineteen ninety six. I was born May tenth, nineteen ninety one. Five. You're very young. It's yeah. crazy to me. We had such a different experience with our movies growing <laughs> right. up. Because this movie is not not bloody. It's gory as hell. The first one's very gory. Really, very gory. And I just remember I got comfy on the couch, like the fold out couch. Okay. And I, I was it. sitting there. And the scene of, it's the first time you see Ghostface. It's a quick run-by shot. He's switching, like, hallways. And it scared me so bad as a little kid. I threw a blanket over my head and watched the rest of the movie under a blanket. Okay, well, I should ask this question now since it came up. But it is a question I have actually more towards the second movie. And you just answered it for me, though, which is, when was Ghostface scary, and was he really meant to be scary, or was he already a commentary on himself? Because there are points where it just looks fucking silly, man. No, I and totally I, get it. That's Wes Craven's even of, called him the clumsiest killer. He, <laughs> that great, yes. Thank I wrote you, that down. <laughs> because he's just constantly falling down the stairs and, yeah. like, tripping over his robes. Yeah. and it's Or his... Uh, his victims are hitting him with shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool to see people fight back, but yeah, you do get an impression that he's just like, who the, f- what the fuck yeah. are you, you're not good at this, dude. Yeah, very clumsy killer. But it did scare you as a five-year-old, mm-hmm. Which, but, that, but that's not like a fair rubric, you know? No, but that shot is still, it's still frightening to me. Okay. Because I, I, I put myself in her shoes, if that makes sense. Like, Sure, of course. Be, like, seeing that, I w- I, I'm gone. I'm not even lingering outside like she is. No, well, <laughs> no, and that's, a, of course, the commentary that the movie it is making. It makes on itself, yes. Yeah, I actually was surprised watching it this time that she, Drew Barrymore does a bunch of different things to fight off Ghostface, and she never once sets down the phone or does something else with the phone, like maybe call for help, which this whole movie is obviously a commentary on that trope, but it... It points to something that this oh. movie and also the second one both do very well, which is a lot of things at once and visual storytelling. Is yes, you know, as off the rails as this series goes, these first two are both really strong. The first one, I feel like, honestly, I feel like it's a masterpiece and a solid sequel. Okay, I'll just okay. say that up front, people. I think Scream Two is okay. I uh, like them both very equal. I go through my moods where. I can't figure out which one I like the most. Well, let's keep talking about Scream 1, because I really do think it's a masterpiece. There's a lot of subtle things that happen in the movie that, that really build the mystery, that allow you to see it once you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, even still, knowing where it's going, it's a lot of fun. And there's so much tension in the chase scenes leading up to the kill. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, Wes Craven, what can you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, speaking of the first scene, I just wanted to point out how absolutely pale Drew Barrymore is. I agree, she does a great performance in there. But, but the white shirt also. Yeah, and the pale blue jeans, and yeah. the entire house is white. But her makeup is, like, almost gray. She looks very... I don't like a ghost. I get it. The opening scene also brought me back to uh, the days of VHS. Yeah. She called, she's going to pop in a video. Yeah. That's so good. And uh, she's got the big, thick boxes, too. Yep. Rental rental boxes. I actually wanted to ask you something. that So it kind of came up in my mind early on. In this scene, because of the phone call stuff, Does do you think that would work today? Do you think that that, no. that this movie is timeless in that way? Like, it's... The technology uh, kind of throws you out a little that's bit, That's no? Scream 2 plays on how the technology updated so quickly within a year. But they even, got caller ID in Star 69. Yeah, I suppose uh, that's true. Which, but they the, still don't have cell phones. Like, there are, like some people have cell phones in Scream. Well, the killers have cell phones. Right. And I suppose it's like early enough that people didn't really have cell phones. Not everybody had one. Well, according to Billy Loomis, everybody's got them, Sheriff. <laughs> I mean, but Sid doesn't have one. Right. Tatum doesn't have one. Right. Uh, so, anyways. Yeah. That, well, okay. That does lead me to another point about actually even Scream One. A couple of things I don't like are they they do kind of the that '90s magical computer, like because computers and technology like that, like phones, weren't so much a part of our life. They weren't in everybody's pocket yet. There was some mystery around it. Like you could just be like, yeah, we. They do that, totally. And so, like, Sid calls 911 on the computer somehow. Which Can you do that? That I've always been curious as a kid. That's I, the only time I've ever seen that. I think now, you know, you can do, like, even the emergency function on your iPad or your iPhone. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to dial you 911, but... Right before that scene, she also does the closet door locking the bedroom door. Yeah, it's a nice Never play heard of that until... Or seen it until this movie. Never seen it again. And Kevin Williamson... Is probably the only person who's ever done that because apparently his bedroom had that. Okay. As a kid growing up, because when everyone got the script and heard that, they were like, "Does that really work?" And he's like, "Yeah, you guys didn't do that as a kid." My bedroom did that, but like not as well. So the door would open wider. Okay, so. But it, it did do a version of that. Okay. Yeah, because the closet was right there, right by the door. Yeah, no, mine were never set up that way. Hmm. All right. So, we should throw a shout-out to Roger L. Jackson, who is the voice of Ghostface. Okay. Uh, that voice know. is iconic. iconic and just scary as fuck. It That's is the really scariest good. part about Ghostface. When he, when he goes, he's always got that real contained anger thing, but when he goes into the actual, you're gonna die, it's so, it's the same tone, but he's so much more If angry. you hang up on me, you're gonna die just like your mother. It's intense, man. It, it is. is a really excellent performance. Good yeah. call. Uh, the opening scene has one of my favorite lines of all time, and it's, we're not finished yeah. yet. It's so scary. Oh, God, it's creepy. It really is. Okay, I guess we should talk about sort of the meta nature of the movie. Before we joke, that's a heavy thing to get into, because okay. that is littered throughout the film. I got one more note on this opening scene, Okay, and it has to do with Two killers, Stu and Billy. Uh, if you really pay attention, you can tell 
it's timed out how the killers come about and interact. Sure. Uh, so the first scene, the killer is Stu, is okay. Matthew Lillard, uh, because he is Casey's ex. Right. And is mad because she left him for Steve. For Steve, sure. Yeah, and there's even a moment where she pulls the mask off and her eyes just feel like, oh, I, uh, okay. it's fucking you. Before she pulls the mask off, she, he's strangling her. And then she kicks him in the balls and runs a little bit. That strangling, I, I didn't ever think anything of it until we were watching it right now. Later on in the movie, when the killers are unmasked, Stu and Sydney are fighting, and he he tackles her to the ground and has her pinned. Yeah, and I can't I I can't remember now if he's actually strangling her. I feel like he's strangling I think her. So. It's right before she's able to get up and dump the TV on. Her. Yeah, but yeah, which is a great kill by yeah, the way. That's just a little a uh, little note I noticed on this time around. Uh, and on that note, Matthew Lillard is a national treasure. He's one of my. Uh, Big named exclamation points on yeah, my notes. That's all He's I have so here. Good. Just Matthew Lillard. Yep. That I and always Skeet. love seeing him show up. <laughs> Skeet. Skeet's a little different for me. I think he's got a great performance here. He's really good here. It, well, he it's gets, his best movie. You're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. He's got this young Johnny Depp charismatic thing going. And when you compare him to what Timothy Oliphant is doing Whoa. in the second one, <laughs> it's a. Uh, Really good. <laughs> not a fan of Olin Fan here. I not so much in um, this one. Also, Jamie Kennedy is the big exclamation point as well. He's yeah, that's a, fun. He's a treasure of the movie. Uh, particularly when he's yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis to get out while Jamie, the killer's right behind him. Come on, so, Jamie, behind which, you. Again, speaks to the meta nature of this script. Yes, and the script in general. It's so snappy and so tight and. It, you get little chunks of, why this doesn't work. You know who talks like this, but then it it clips by you so fast and it's so fun that you're back in just a second later. And very I, Kevin Williamson. Kevin Williamson, is uh, the voice of the '90s. That's something that definitely has resonance, at least through the first two movies. We'll get to the second one. Yeah. Okay, so you want to talk a little bit about the meta nature here? Yeah, I mean, I think it can't be ignored. Um, well, no. And it's it's done so well. Because, and, and even into the second one, I, maybe we can kind of mishmash this together a little bit. Because the second and, one's super heavy on it, too, with sequels. Right. Yeah. And the second one, when it's doing the opening scene, is doing so many things at <laughs> once. And so it's kind of the epitome of the meta nature okay, of Okay, we'll thing. talk more about it in Scream 2. Because... Okay. There, you're right. That opening scene is so good. It's with really stab, good. With Stab going on. Yeah. Directed so, by Robert Rodriguez. That's happening through this whole movie also, but it's happening in a, uh, a little less of a bravura way, which is sounds crazy to say because this movie is so intentional. It somehow manages to feel, I don't want to say subtle, but like, there's there's so much meta and so much satire happening throughout it that it's like a blink and you miss a joke kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's really much more dense than I remembered it being. Um, so it's it's a super impressive movie. Absolutely. Let's see. That opening scene when you see her dangling 
yeah. uh, from the tree. The yeah. MPAA did not like that whatsoever. Okay. And they had to chop some of it. I don't think they cut much. I think like 16 frames. So not even a second. Interesting. But that gives it its choppiness. I mean, it is really gory. It's super gory. You fucking see the intestines. They're dangling out there with her. Yeah. It's very upsetting. And even through the rest of the movie, it's it it doesn't generally get that gory again. But it is so bloody. That really stuck out to me this time. Also, everybody is just fucking covered in blood by the end of this thing. It's a massacre. Mm -hmm. And when you start counting up the bodies in like the short period of time. It's really pretty nutty. Yeah. Santa Rosa, or Sonoma County and the surrounding areas, play a big role. Plain Woodsboro, California. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Been to a lot of the filming locations. There is a piano score. That is Marco's score, but it's... It's super simple. And it plays over just a little scene. But I was watching a movie called Mark Felt the other day, and okay. I swear that score was in it. People be using Scream's score in other movies. I mean, it definitely does some of that. Uh, that piano thing is really popular throughout the 90s. Yeah. You know, this like, movie was made this year. Or last year. Mark Felt, Mark, the one oh, I really? really in, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. We can talk about that later in our recommendations. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it has been long enough to be influential at this point, which yeah. is another point I wanted to raise. I think... I could be wrong on that, though. I'm just saying it sounded so similar. I think Wes Craven is, like... A genius. So on the fucking pulse of some things here mm-hmm. that it's almost... It's weird how prescient he can be and also kind of a little how, how a few degrees away from right he is at the same time. Something struck me about Henry Henry Winkler's speech to the kids that he expels. Mm-hmm. And he's got another one earlier in the, the movie. The desensitized little shits that you are. Yeah, where he's just like really being venomous towards this, what would become the millennial generation who watched this movie, you mm-hmm. know? So, and, and entertainment in general has become so meta. That struck me actually watching the Super Bowl commercials where every commercial pointed at the fact that it was a commercial. You know, it was like the Tide commercial is a Tide commercial. The Michelob Ultra commercial is Chris Pratt being an extra. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that just it kept happening over and over again. So our culture has become consumed by this hyper self-referential treatment towards entertainment that mm-hmm. Wes Craven really saw. He knew that and he wrote about it. Him or, and Kevin. Him and Kevin Williamson. Yeah. The Kevin Williamson script is like yeah, I've said it before. It's really fun. It's super it's snappy. Very tight scripts. Yeah. Originally just... called a scary movie, by the way. We did not know. Later became a parody by the Wayne's Bros. Say what? Say what? I haven't heard of any of those things. <laughs> I was curious, how long was Courtney Cox into friends when making this? Well, was she deep into no, couldn't have been. Yeah, I bet it was. You said ninety six for this thing? Yeah. So I feel like Friends came on around 1995 no I think it was like 91 or 92 whoa I think it was pretty early on in the no 90s. way yeah you gotta you go- look it up yeah we'll keep looking it up um well since go ahead fill the time <laughs> well I just have to say about Courtney Cox especially in the second one so trying to draw out like threads that make this a 90s movie Matthew Lillard for sure so good um 
But Courtney Cox's fucking 94. hair in the second one. Red, short, red, little tint to the front. Because it's stripes. It's the hardcore 90s highlights. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. like those chunky, like I'm surprised she didn't have crimped hair, you know? Oh, does she show up with the crazy bangs in the third one? Yep. Yes, of course she does. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Courtney Cox's hair in the 90s. All over God the place. Bless her. I mean... He got to live during the time of Courtney Cox's hair and Peak Lillard. How lucky are we? I prefer Peak Lillard. Definitely. But it, <laughs> SLC Punk. Uh, SLC Punk is a great one. It is. Also, all of the five movies that he did with Freddie Prinze, any one oh, of them, yeah. those are so good. I also I wrote down, just in general, they're all pretty pale. All of the females that get killed are have kind of a wan appearance. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to say about uh, the improv that you pointed at with David Arquette, I get the sense that that carried some, at least some of it, because when he's doing that thing with the ice cream cone and the, and the cigarette, <laughs> cigarette, yeah, that was I believe that's Wes Craven's. Uh, that's Craven's little. Thing. Okay, great. Yeah, it's one of the greatest moments in yeah. cinema. I <laughs> every time the sheriff takes a drag of his cigarette, Dewey licks his ice cream cone. I was full on expecting him to throw it on the ground and stamp Dude, it out. I could have swore as a kid there was that right. Shot. But I'm, you know what? I need to pop in the VHS because that is that, uh, good call. That's how I would know. Uh, in terms of our. Hero, what do you think about Nev Campbell? You know what? I love her, but she's Sydney Prescott. Okay, sure. Uh not obviously that's not her as a fucking person, but I haven't seen her much where I really liked her. I can name a couple of movies where she's really good. Drowning Mona, she's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> that movie hilarious is so movie. Great. We're gonna have to get to that one. Yeah, that's oh, that not two thousand. It's two thousand. Damn. Yeah. Uh and Panic with William H. Macy she's really good in. Okay. Low-key, early 2000s movie. All right. Yeah. But uh, how do you feel about her? Um, I think she's doing something really excellent here. I was, I was kind of surprised. I was prepared to not enjoy her performance very much, and mm-hmm. I think it suffers a little bit in the second one. But she's, I think, playing into the very meta nature of the movie and doing almost, almost an inversion on a Scream Queen where she's keeping f- she's playing a really good final girl. She's just a smart She's final the original girl. final girl. I mean, I don't know. But well, like, no, Jamie Lee Curtis is the original final girl. But she was like a total screamer. So my point is not so much I mean, she's definitely a final girl, but my point is about the scream specifically in a movie called Scream. She often covers her mouth and like instead <laughs> of Yeah, you're right. She does she does a yeah. lot. And so instead of like having that expressive kind of curdling scream, she's doing something very Introverted and does she even scream? She kind of shrieks a little bit here and there, but there's never full on like you know the scream at the end of the movie where the killer is coming through the door and the babysitter is just wailing. Yeah, she doesn't do that. She figures some shit out, like you said. She's a final girl. Yeah, one of the things that's very noticeable in both movies is the use of uh, "Red Right Hand" by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah. Very great song. I'm pretty sure the first time I ever heard it was in Scream. And it's been stuck with me ever since. The soundtrack is 
pretty great all around. There's some legitimately great songs, and then there's some interesting 90s songs. In terms of uh, some of the music cues, especially in the first one, I, they go from re- like really on the nose, but also... I don't know, how do you feel about the Don't Fear the Reaper in the bedroom? In the first in bedroom the, scene? And, yeah, uh, when Billy first sneaks the into the bedroom and Sid's dad's still around. I never, I don't think I ever picked up on it. They're Jesus, playing Don't, don't Fear, Fear the, the Reaper. Reaper. Yeah, really? it's like this acoustic little slow down indie cover, but it's Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah, no, I don't think, are there lyrics playing? Yeah. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. no, I didn't even pick up on yeah, it. I've watched it so many times. That really kind of tickled me. And then later on, what was the other... There's another musical cue that works really well. It's about... Sorry, give me a second. I'm not looking through my notes. <laughs> no, no notes over here. Not at all. This movie is just so perfect in every way. It really they is, even, it They even bring up the Richard Gere gerbil story, which obviously is a rumor, which I heard was started by Sylvester Stallone. For some odd reason. Weird. Because they got into a fight while making a movie and then gear dropped out. And then Sylvester Stallone told everybody about his butt. That's such such a weird take on that rumor. It is. Jesus. Did you find your note? No, I didn't. Um, it's the song that's that's playing at the beginning of the house party about uh, the youth losing. Youth their of America. Dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I can't remember the artist. So it's a little little on point, but it's really um, fun. I think. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the chorus is literally, "You're all dead." <laughs> <laughs> He's simultaneously creating and pointing to the downfall of our culture. Yep. So Most we're getting up on a big part. This. Okay, bring it on. This finale. Okay. Well, uh, so they also make reference to the town that dreaded sundown, which is one of my probably my favorite horror movie next to the Scream trilogy. They all okay. So they all. <laughs> There's a lot of references to horror movies. Everybody by the way. knows every movie <laughs> yeah, in this which movie. Which is that's great. I mean, it's great. It's a lot of fun. But again, it's like, who fucking talks like this, man? Well, it's... We, you and I barely talk like No one like talks that, like Aaron Sorkin. have a movie podcast. No one talks like Aaron Sorkin, though. I Kevin Williams you. has a distinct way of writing. It, it, no one talks like Patty Chayefsky writes. It works. It works really well in this movie. But it does bump me just a little bit. Okay. I have you to, like, wish they weren't so savvy. Maybe... Maybe. There are some, like, extended metaphors when they're kind of going back and forth, and I know it's such a nitty thing to say. It totally works, but, I like, every time I end up paying attention to the writing and not the movie. Do you know what I mean? I totally get you. It's it's, it's such a dumb criticism, but No, no, no. I feel, okay? It's how I... I'm I'm re-going through Dawson's Creek, which is Kevin, Kevin Williamson, Williamson, and there are a lot of moments where I'm just like, dude, no one talks like that, Kevin. Do you have like some weird world where you just want this like, like he must talk like that in his everyday life? No, he, I mean maybe, but I, he, don't, like, I don't know the guy. That's why he became a writer. You yeah, know no, what I mean? he's, he's really escaping good. to that world of yeah. Never um, got into Vampire Diaries though. Um, oh, I have seen some Vampire Diaries. Does it feel like a him show? No, not as much. It's much more moody. Okay. And, but pff, no, it's Dawson's Creek is super moody. Well, I mean, like pace. The Doctor. Dawson's Creek has a similar pace in the dialogue as this screen movie does where it's just like a lot of people almost like Sorkin where it's a lot of people saying a lot of things very quickly 
and it moves really, really fast. Yes. And I like it. It's enjoyable. It's enough to keep me engaged. But I can't believe we're talking about vampires di- Vampire Diaries, but it's much more like, we need to go now. And then someone crosses their arms and, like, turns and is like, you're right. I mean, that's extreme, but it's way more that mellow. That is why I've never watched the show. It's uh, just not my bag. No. And I, that points to one of the problems that I have with the second one. And we kind of talked about the Courtney Cox, David Arquette. Yeah. See, I did it correctly that time. Yep. But there, some of their moments are so melodramatic, and it just like doesn't work for me at all. And then it even bleeds into some of the moments with Nev Campbell with Sydney being really melodramatic around her boyfriend, and it just like it doesn't work at all. I gotcha. It works in the first one when it's angsty and fast, but not in the second one when it's like kind of a little pitiful and lilting mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh there is before we get to that final party scene the scene of them uh sydney and tatum in the grocery store mm-hmm. and before when they're just talking on the porch about the richard gear gerbil story at the end of that scene you see a, a someone in the ghost face costume lurking in the bushes obviously there's been talk about people pulling pranks at the school people in the costumes running around so i get that one but then there's a shot of them in the grocery store, and they leave frame, and then you can see the reflection of someone stalking them in Ghostface. I don't know. That scene's never added up for me. There's a few things that Ghostface does that don't... But that's not them. That's random people. Oh, you think as they're walking through the town, that's not... That's not them. Not at all. You really think it's random people in the yeah. town during the curfew, putting yep. on the... Oh, I mean, okay. Yep. I don't think... Stu, uh, Stu and Billy are dumb. They're not dumb, but they're they take some risks. There's a few things that that they do that I and maybe it's from like watching so many court shows now and like we live in a post making a murderer world. Yep. But there's some stuff where it's like, well, well, why would you do that, man? That you, that's how Syed got caught up in fucking uh, that podcast that everybody loved. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> nope I don't think we do it's called Serial it's fantastic oh yes sorry which is a great podcast season one <laughs> that's what I got caught up with <laughs> um okay so on to that final party scene okay so that was I believe a week of filming uh and the let's just put it this way they did a week of filming of that final party scene. Okay. And the, That feels like a lot. Can I just interject? That feels like... It's actually a lot. Uh, it's actually... I don't think they even finished yet. That's not even enough. Because that is the last 35 pages. 30 pages. I suppose it all goes down in that kitchen. Yeah, I guess I yeah. thought they... Yeah, you're right. No, yeah, the, for sure. they're in that house for a good long time. Yeah, the okay. only way they leave is with Dewey... And Gail, when they're walking and they find yeah, yeah, the yeah. dad's car. Cinematographer Mark Irwin was fired. During that week? After that week. Because they got the dailies back and every shot was out of focus. Oh. Yes. What Obviously, the fuck? not really his problem. It's the focus pullers right. problem. Right. But they were both fired. Wes didn't want to fire Mark, but the studio made him. Jesus. And Yeah. And Peter Dimming cinematographer was brought on to fill in the last to reshoot so that. they had to reshoot they had to reshoot a, a, a week oh yeah 
And maybe a little more than just a week. We probably order extra pizza. <laughs> probably. Hell yeah. God, um, a shitty day. And from then on out, Peter Dimming became the cinematographer up until four. Okay. Yep. But that is nuts. That, Every shot was out of focus. How like does Wes, that happen, man? He's been interviewed in a Scream documentary, and he was like, I don't want to talk about this. This That was just bad. It was a bad, bad, bad time. Truly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Crazy yeah. that it... I mean, I understand, like, even if it went a whole day, how do you not see it at one day and, like... Because they had to send the dailies to a photo lab. Sure. To get processed. Then right. they get shipped back to them. Yeah. It was about a week. And they watched okay. them and just everything had a soft focus to oh, it. Oh, man. It just sounds awful. That's like a director's worst. That is a director's worst nightmare, probably. That's a producer's worst nightmare, man. Agreed. You just made, like, my little production heartbreak. Yeah. I was like, God damn it. How do I... Having to keep this family out of that house <sighs> for even longer. <laughs> what a tough day. Yeah, definitely. Man, that is uh, no Also, fun. we talked about this while the movie was going, was that it's rare that we see movies film exterior and interior of the same house. Yeah. Um... Oh, I guess, I, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it, it is definitely rare that you see some of that. The one that came to my mind, though, when you brought it up was The Conjuring, which I think makes fantastic use of that house. They do, but I think it's all a set. Interesting. I think it's all a set. I thought it was a house. I could be wrong, but I want because I know number two all takes place in a house. It's a set. Number two, Conjuring 2 is like, it's fine, you it's, know? It's good. It's it's better than most of the other most sequels. Yeah, that and of that vein. It specifically. gets super campy, and it's it's got split focus, man. That movie is two <laughs> movies fighting with each other. Yeah, the demon is uh, portraying itself in a lot of different lights. The Slender Man, the Nun, the that doesn't bother me. It's oh really? That, yeah, it's that the the story between the me. haunted the kids that are you know having the haunting and the family. Vera Farmiga and uh, is that Ron Livingston, right? That no, are... not Ron Livingston. Who is it? It's um. It'd be a lot cooler if it was. It's not though. I just saw Ron Livingston the other day, fucking at Gelson's. Uh, <laughs> fuck, I'm. This is gonna absolutely kill me. We'll come back to this, but yeah, yes. okay. But I just I didn't feel like those stories unified, uh, at least as well as they did in the first one. I gotcha. So that's another movie. But I really thought the house in that movie worked. That's uh, all. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about some improv. Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Yeah. We were talking about improv from Dewey. Matthew Lillard has the best improv lines in the whole movie. One I'm not sure on, <laughs> I two I'm I am I am dying sure. here, man. I feel a little woozy here, man. Uh, it is that scene. And it's... Uh, Skeet throws the phone back mm-hmm. and accidentally <laughs> hits him. And he says, you hit me with the phone, dick! Yeah. Uh, that was improv. God bless Lillard. Yes. For real. I'm and, so happy. Uh, I can't remember if this one is, but it, I'm pretty sure it was. It's, uh, I think my mom and dad are going to be so <laughs> mad at me. They're going to be so mad at me. And then the other one is when he has Sydney pinned down. And he says, I always had a thing for you, Sid. <laughs> Those were his three, I'm pretty sure. He's doing some fun stuff in this movie. I man, 
I have an ironic love for him, but I also think he just makes choices and absolutely and everything he does. Underrated. He's a great Shaggy too. Man, he's currently the voice. Like he does it now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great news. He's a great live action Shaggy. I think that first Scooby Doo is kind of underrated. It's, I do too, actually. It is just a it's fucking Scooby-Doo. live action version. Yeah, totally. I agree with you one hundred percent. So, guys. That's been Take our recommendation on Scooby Doo. <laughs> so stupid. When Skeet's fake death, we're calling him uh, Billy's fake death. Um, <laughs> before she shoots him in the head, uh-huh. that she shoots uh, Gail shoots him in the shoulder, and that shot of the him going down in the blood on his white shirt up against the like deep wood uh hard wood walls mm-hmm. and stuff it uh, has always been super polarizing to me uh, especially on the blu-ray it's it's color uh the d- the deep dark wound blood okay versus like the blood that he's got on his hands okay it, they're so opposite contrast but it looks so crazy cool to me yeah i Honestly, didn't even take notice of that. <laughs> I do remember thinking, like, that's a it was a fairly large entry wound because the blood comes really quickly. Yeah, I think that about uh, the second one with uh, Derek, the boyfriend on the star. Yeah, truly. <gasps> and then she puts her hand over it <laughs> and manages to stop all of the blood that's pumping through his heart. Oh, I didn't even think it. Does he have blood on his chest? <laughs> That would... I don't even remember. The movie loves Derek Wes is too so good much. not to do that. No, of course. Okay, uh, so we're almost done with the first scream here, kind of going through the actual film. Okay. Another polarizing thing that you don't see but is said is that uh, Principal Henry, uh, Henry Winkler, mm-hmm. is found hanging by the field goal post. Right. And that always, like, terrified me. Just the idea of it. Yeah, just the idea. Like, these kids are going back to the school. Yeah, truly. Like, how? I was thinking that about Sydney in her home also. Like, how do you stay there, man? Yeah, well, I told you earlier while watching, my stepsisters... My stepsisters grew up in Santa Rosa, the which is where the movie was filmed, or pieces of it. And the... Sydney's house was actually her best friend in elementary school or middle school. Can't remember Dylan exactly. has been to the Scream House, y'all. I haven't. I haven't. I said I He's wanted to, to go. trying to keep it on the low. I have he never been. there all the time. Never. I said I wanted to go. My stepsister told me that uh, I had no chance of ever getting in there. It's in a super posh gated community. Yes. I don't think it's very posh. I think it's very recluse gated community. Okay. Could be wrong. Like I said, I've never fucking been there. I mean, if it's a gated community at all, it's fairly posh. <laughs> I just, get it. I'm just saying. I, you know what? Fine. You got me there. So the first scream, I... I mean, I have some kind of nitpicky criticisms about it. Some stuff that, you know, is a little challenging for me as a viewer. But I think certainly in terms of what it did for movie culture, what it went, what it meant to our generation, and just how much fun it is. Mm-hmm. It really has an intensity and an energy and a, a, a joy to it that is like... Really quality filmmaking, and I enjoy it so much. I think it's an excellent, excellent film. Yeah, and to think that, because Dewey gets severely wounded in the first one, that Wes 
just when filming that final shot, it's actually the sun going down, mm-hmm. but it's mimicking sunrise. Sure. He literally had the afterthought of, let's just get a shot of Dewey being wheeled out. And that changes the whole series. Yeah, totally. Dewey is a huge, huge, huge reason why people watch this movie, I feel. It gives it, con- absolutely. And it gives it a continuity that makes it feel like he knows where he's taking it mm-hmm. in the sequel. Yeah. So I think well, this... Kevin did approach him uh, while filming Scream. Kevin's like, I do have the idea for the sequel. Okay. And he told him, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he just told him the ending. And they worked it from there. Right on. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the sequel. Scream let's 2. Let's jump right to the end. Oh, right to the <laughs> no, end. We don't have to. What a great opening for Scream 2, though. It really is pretty excellent. Uh, it... Don't get me wrong, the first one is just as incredible. It's a little more shock value, 100%, with its gore and the them cutting those frames on her dead body really give it this hyper, uh, hyperactive feel and the sound that's playing with it. Yeah. Versus when Jada gets stabbed and she's making her way through the crowd, they kind of... They drop all noise in the audience, and they just have this very low, somber, uh, kind of going underneath. Sure. And her scream, and it's not her screaming though. It's definitely an ADR scream. These uh, movies, all I just want to point out, they have some ADR issues. Definitely. But when she goes down and dies, they drop all signs and they linger. Yeah. That is so effective. Yeah, it really works, and it's. Uh, we sort of talked about it earlier, but it's the prime example of how much these movies are doing at once. That scene is functioning as a commentary on itself, mm-hmm. a narrative device, yep. and a social commentary yep, all at once. And it feels, that scene more than any other felt right at home. Like I was like, ah, this could be the intro of a Netflix show yeah. today, right yeah. now. I'd be throwing on whatever the thing is called. Yep. Um, it really worked and is, again, an example of where the combination of Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson seem so prescient about what's happening in our culture. Yeah. I think they really tapped into something with these movies that's pretty cool. And I, like I said earlier, I don't think the second one holds up to this. It's it's very good, but there's... <laughs> some divided. What it is is I'm less forgiving of the things that bring me out of it than I am of the first one. So like I was saying, the first one, it's like almost too snappy and poppy. So I'm thinking like, wow, what a great fucking script. Oh wait, watch the movie. And in this one, it's like, the, it's like when George Lucas wrote the love lo- love plot line in the prequels and it's just like, this doesn't work at all, dude. Yeah. So the emotional energy that the first half of the second movie has just really does not. You don't dig Derek me. and Sid's romance, the whole table dancing. No, no, doesn't work for me like really at all. Yeah, and even before that, I don't know if it's Jerry O'Connell or I mean, because Nev Campbell can also be very. I don't want to say flat, but I'm going to. And, <laughs> and so, and I love Jerry O'Connell, but they're they don't really have chemistry, and I get it. they kind of bring out the least in each other. Okay. you know. Uh, well, to set the tone for Scream 2, it starts with a couple, Tay Diggs, Jada Pinkett Smith, at a movie theater going to see a early screening of Stab, which is 
the movie based on the murders in Woodsboro, California. And so, I just want to unpack the levels there. So yeah. now we're we're watching a movie where characters are watching a movie about the movie we just watched. And it. you have a, a movie called Stab that is directed by Robert Rodriguez <laughs> and stars uh, Heather Graham yeah. as the Drew Barrymore role. And then the joke they play in the first one where they talk about, oh, if they were to make a movie of this, Sid would probably be cast as Tori Spelling. Yeah, that comes out later. that comes to be true, and Tori Spelling is cast as Sid, and Luke Wilson is Bill. (laughs) That scene is so... I come... That... That scene gives me a lot of faith in this movie where I'm like, it almost feels like like Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, Where it's just such strong (laughs) in-your-face satire. Yeah, it's just like, what are you watching, you dummy? Um, And so, obviously, Tay Diggs. Oh, no, it's not Tay Diggs. I'm sorry. It's Omar uh, Epps. Omar Epps, who gets killed first in the bathroom. For some reason, he decides to listen in on what the guy's doing next door. Oh, here's like he's kind of giggling. I mean, I uh, if I heard that, I, I would, would leave. Yeah, I wouldn't put I'd my ear like, oh, to I the think stall. that dude is, you know, he's having some. Uh, I'm leaving. But you know what? It drives the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it it gets us started. For it gets sure. us going. I mean, one of the things that struck me about that scene is the actual murder. And well, actually, before it happened, as they're walking in. The the theater attendant hands him costumes, right? <laughs> Ghost face masks costumes. and everything. And I was struck about how like every time if I go to like a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie and it's near the beginning of a screening, there's big signs that are like no masks, no costumes. Well, no now especially after the Aurora. So again, I hate to like keep pointing back at this, but like it really occupies a unique space in our culture in terms of the feedback, you know, like, and it, and it knows that the whole movie is about whether the art creates the, the violence, the violence or the violence creates the art. Where does that start and stop? And I don't think the movie is interested in answering it, nor should it, but should it be. be, And I appreciate it for not even trying to go there, but it, it is so aware of its role within that. It's, Mm -hmm. Really impressive filmmaking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What theater allows that kind of rowdiness? Well, I mean, I... uh, When I worked at a movie theater, if that was happening, I had to tell people to, please be quiet or we're going to kick you out. I saw Revenge of the Sith opening night. Yes. And it was fucking nuts. Because people were so excited to see the reveal of Darth Vader. Yeah. Man, it was And were let down. Yeah. So that shot's kind of cool. Uh, I uh, the rise up, but then the no. That's not okay. We should probably just talk about it now because I don't think we should do this. I mean, maybe we'll do the Star Wars prequels. We can't because they're two. Uh, Ninety nine. We can do Phantom. Is the first one. Yeah, ninety nine. Ninety one. But I, I, I legitimately think people are a little too hard on those movies. The second one is terrible. I think people are too hard on Phantom Menace. It has bad things. Uh, the third one has some bad things, but it's also pretty good. The last half of it I really like. Yeah, and I actually, so I'll say the same thing about the second one. The last half of the second one is can be a lot. It's a lot of fun. Not the arena scene. The arena scene when it turns into the battle scene. When everyone comes in, yeah. But that so gets going. The, the problem is the CGI-ness of it. Oh, God. CGI I mean, floors. It's all bad. That's the worst. It's all bad. 
But in terms of, uh, I don't want to defend the prequels, but I kind of got myself into this position. They're, we know you love them. I I, I recently love Phantom okay. Man, let me, I'm not, I'm let me defend myself them. defending the prequels. I Are recently, you just defending Attack of the Clones now? I'm de- I'm defending all of them. I am. They're they're Star Wars with political drama. <laughs> Yeah, but Star Wars is a little political drama. But like they were never as what they were in the prequels. No, that's true, and that's they became full uh, Aaron Sorkin West Wing. No, see, walking this through is corridors what I'm saying. and People, talking political dialogue. There's there is a little bit of that, but it's it's not all of that. I actually think the bulk of the movies are mostly like adventure kind of swashbuckling stuff. Not and the second really, one. Yeah, the second one, dude. Re- I, there, there I are feel like the action, action really picks up with uh, uh, not Boba, Jenga, uh, and the rain sequence. It starts in the very beginning. There's like a, a ship gets blown up, and they gotta. That's why Anakin and Qui Gon or uh, Obi Wan come to the city to like. Qui Gon's dead, man. Say, okay, which was awesome, by the way. The Battle of the Fates. That that was a great scene. But they should have kept Qui Gon alive. And kept Darth Maul alive and not saved him for the cartoons. Agreed. Okay, so that brings up another point. The CGI is really bad, and it doesn't work for like a full-scale cinematic experience. But if you want to take on the perspective that it launched the Clone Wars TV series, because the animation is almost identical. When you see the stormtroopers come out in the big battles in the prequels, they look really shitty, but they look like what the television show would become. I gotcha. And that television show, I've seen some it's of it. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I've seen some of it too. And it adds to the greater Star Wars... Universe. Yeah, yeah, totally. In a fun way. Okay, to bring it back to screen, watch this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. Yeah, Attack of the Clones was shot on some special camera that George Lucas invented. Right. Robert Rodriguez took that camera, filmed Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Scream 2... Robert Robert Rodriguez is the director of Stab. Back to Scream 2. Yeah. Good work. But you're not a fan of Once Upon a Time in Mexico either, are you? What are your feelings about that movie, Kyle? I don't love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, back to Scream 2 here. Uh, how cool is that film class? <laughs> it's... Again, Kevin Williamson just like stroking yeah, himself. Yeah, that's what he wished film class was like. Oh my god, it would have been. The I best. couldn't hold an intelligent conversation in film class where shit with anyone. Uh, a mean, couple people, me and you, exactly, obviously. Right, you find the good ones, but like, and there are some moments that are like really fun, especially in a writing class yeah. where you get a bunch of people throwing stuff around. But, but overall, also yeah. like, what class was that? Where that was the discussion? I. Uh, Probably just, just film, film studies. Yeah, just film uh, the appreciation. The teacher says, uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue this discussion about sequels. <laughs> it's a sequel class. Yeah. But no, I love that dialogue. And Randy, Jamie Kennedy, corrects Joshua Jackson's character when he quotes Aliens. He says, get away from her, you bitch, which is the line. And Randy corrects him and says, uh, uh, the, isn't the line, believe- stay away from her, you bitch? This is film class, right? Uh, Randy, you're wrong, film nerd, and you're the best character in the movie. Dylan Shore told you first, folks. Boom. Got a, a hard line opinion uh, on his knowledge. You've been idea. called out. 
that 20 year old movie character yeah man let's talk about early Portia de Rossi no need to talk about it because she's barely in it but no. she's there I, I remember that performance being impactful on me the first time I saw it like she's really good at doing that boppy ditzy thing and this time I did not feel that way um, I just felt like a little uncomfortable the whole time because again she's so pale yeah and, Drew Barrymore pale yeah truly <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so that didn't as much work for me this go around. Yeah. That same scene with Portia, you get Louis Arquette as the sheriff, too. So right. David gets to play with his dad a little bit. <laughs> that must have been fun. And, yeah, they actually they do have the nice chemistry. There's uh, another scene later on where they're just passing each other on the stairs and they kind of pat each other on the back. Yeah. And, yeah, it feels lived in. It feels right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, you brought up Joshua, Joshua Jackson earlier. And it points at something I wanted to say about the Kevin Williamson-ness, which we've kind Dawson. of... Dawson. Well, Pacey. Right. The, but the second one, also with um, Buffy up in it. My, um, oh, yeah. Michelle... Well, she's also in I Know What You Did Last Summer, and he wrote that. Right. So it. now that we've watched a few of these, I'm starting to... I, I don't know what the reaction I'm having is, but it's like, oh, it starts to feel like a CW movie. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because so many of them were also on these shows. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the reaction was at Get the time. Get it right, it was like, WB. It wasn't CW oh, right. right in there. Come on, right. Michigan J Frog. Right, you know what? I forgot. Some of those were probably UPN dramas. <laughs> was Buffy WB? I, I think, think Buffy was, was WB, yeah. Was it? Oh, no, that might have been Fox. And that was... Um, I could be wrong, though. Uh, what's his name? Joss. The Avengers, Joss Whedon, sure. Yep. So... I feel like I cut you off, though. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't have opinions doing? or anything that I want to share with you people. It's been a nice podcast. But... Um, This also has a little pull from another Made in the 90s film that we've done. No? What do we got? They pulled uh, Hans Zimmer's oh. score from Broken Arrow. <laughs> yeah, they did. For like three scenes in Scream for 2. For Dewey. Yeah. Dewey. It, it is like a Dewey theme. He's the hero, doom, man. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. It's It's got some strong 90s energy. I will say this. The, the first one does feel a little more timeless. The clothing's much more reserved. The second one feels a little uncorked. You know, like there's... They're in a transition phase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, uh, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is Joel, who is Gail's new cameraman. Sure. He, you know, he starts learning about what happened in Woods- Woodsboro, and he doesn't want to participate in this anymore. And he hands her the camera and says, I'm out. And if you keep watching him as, like, she continues the scene, he literally walks, gets in a taxi, and oh, just goes really? away. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so funny. <laughs> I don't even need my bags. Yeah. I'm out. Today. He, I'm yeah, gone. no, he has the bags. He's like, here's your tapes. I'm out. That's good stuff. <laughs> I did not notice that. How do you feel about, because uh, Sydney is, like, a dramatic arts major, and she's in the school play. College yeah. play. It is the Orestia? Um, Orestia? Okay. It's a Greek fucking play about Cassandra, who is the princess of Troy. And she's dealing with, or the main theme of the play is murder and how Agamemnon's uh, wife 
has just killed him. And now the son of Agamemnon kills his wife, his mother. Okay. Don't know why, but just the theme of murder. That's why it was probably chosen. Sure. Uh, but do you like that scene? A lot of people don't like it. That's so funny. I was. It's literally the next thing up on my notes also. I put hallucination scene. Because she um, hallucinates, uh, hallucinates Ghostface coming in. Well, so I I read that scene this time, again, as more commentary on the form than actual plot service. So mm. we get that conversation before it happens between Sydney and the director of the play. Yeah. And I was sitting there wondering how much of that was the conversation that she and Wes Craven had before or, this movie yeah, started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, no, I know that it, it hurts because you kind of are in this role now, but that is your role, and it's important to embrace that going mm-hmm. forward. That's who you are. It's a part of you. So you can't outrun it. So then I think she takes that on stage, and so... The, the story itself then very much focus or functions as a commentary on drama because it's very stripped down like early Greek style performance like mm-hmm. uh, monologue and chorus kind of back and forth uh, so they're the foundations of the form that well that Williamson and Craven are so adeptly manipulating mm-hmm. and so I think it works as the larger metaphor and so that scene is obviously constructed to get her to that place, but because she really can be read as taking it on as an actress and internalizing her own fears, I think it works for me. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like what it's doing. I, I have the same question for you because I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but since you posed it, I'm trying to like yeah, no, talk uh, through it. Well, you had a great point with... Uh, with what Wes would have had a conversation with her about, uh, which it absolutely feels like that every time I watch it. But the scene itself, I actually think is really well done, especially because it sets you up for the final act when she hears the orchestra music and she runs into the theater. It's kind of setting the stage almost. And I don't know. It's foreshadowing at its finest in a way. Like, because the yeah, killer's on yeah, stage absolutely. in her mind, and they it all comes to fruition in a way in the end. Yeah, and right before that scene, we get, uh, that uh, in a way that sort of echoes what you're talking about, we get this really big hero shot on Derek. So the language of the cinema is very honest with us about what to expect from the characters. Mm-hmm. And so we can tell, we know that Derek's not the bad guy, and by the end of the movie, he's literally hung up on a cross for her. Yep, and it sucks. She doesn't believe him. Right. She's so torn. As you would be. Well, yeah. I mean, she's got a very yeah. real trauma in that yeah. area. Well, to set the the stage for our audience, Derek gets kidnapped, essentially, by his frat brothers because he gave away his Greek letters to Sydney at the end of his stupid dance number. Right. And they hang him up on a cross, draw on him, and get him insanely drunk. And leave him hanging in the rafters for the night. Right. And Sid gets chased down. The whole car accident with Hallie. Oh, this is a fun little fact. This movie's Scream 2 script leaked. Now, I don't know if the full script got leaked or they were able to get it before it was truly out to the public. And because that happened, Kevin had to go in and write three different movies. Wow. And he, not three movies, but essentially 
three different last 10, 15 pages. Sure. And one of the false endings... So this is like the first version of Game of Thrones. (laughs) Right? The first leaked ending, uh, false ending Mm -hmm. that was leaked was, it was still um, Mrs. Loomis and Mickey, but Hallie and Derek were also killers. Okay. So Hallie is Sid's best friend. Right, right. And who meets a fucking brutal demise with a little... Is it a neck? No, it's stabbed to the chest. Yeah, she gets a stab to the chest uh, after the car scene, which yeah. works really well. Super Sorry to well. interrupt you, but that no, the I car agree. scene is very tense and well executed. Yeah. The cop that gets the pole through the head when she's crawling out and she can see him still like yeah. gushing a little bit. Oh, that's awful. Oh, it's awful. Where was I at? Uh, you were talking about the different endings. That oh, yes. Hallie and Derek. Had. Uh, so that was one of them. And then another one that was said was that Dewey was just a killer. You know? That would have been a fun time to be on the internet and just be like, what? I'm kind of uh, sort of carrying over from the first one. I'm still a little bit willing to believe that Dewey is the killer. Maybe doing a Kaiser Sose on us with the, you know. He's hiring everyone. And well, has a fake limp. He's actually... That means he would be behind uh, Sydney's half-brother in the third movie, who... <laughs> actually killed her mom and brought in Billy and Stu to, um, like, wreck havoc yeah, a year later. Yikes. And that, take rap for it. That doesn't sound great. I haven't seen the third one in a very long time. I low-key like the third one. I think it... I get that. I just defended the Scar Wars prequels, so... True, true. We we'll like I'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about Screen 3 here in a second. Even though we did not watch it... Because it was technically released in uh, 2000. Past the cutoff. It was, but it was made in the 90s, so. Well. Which is the name of our show. <laughs> Dylan keeps pitching 2000s movies. Um, we could do Drowning Mona, probably. I mean, we could probably do I'd a lot of really, things. I'd have to, yeah, that's true. Our limits for a reason, Dylan. I get it, I get it. Wait, uh, madness. Also, Scream 2 has the best scene in the whole series, and it is Randy's death. And it is also their biggest mistake are you talking about the cell phone stuff in general yeah no that whole scene to from the moment randy picks up the phone and goes gail's not here and then he takes on the conversation and then they go and look for yeah his whole conversation with ghostface which for that scene turns out to be billy's mom mrs loomis because debbie salt the writer who is Oscar nominated Lori Metcalf. Hey, she'll. Oh, I, I kind of low key hope she wins. She's really good. I think she might. She Allison Janney's really phenomenal in Itania, but she got the globe. I think Lori Metcalf deserves the Oscar. Allison Janney's another national treasure. I walked out of Itania and said exactly that. <laughs> she was so. She's good in so that good. Movie. This will probably come out after Oscars. So. So let us know how wrong we were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sally Hawkins for the win. Yeah, I think that's that's lead role though. I think she. Oh, will, right. I think she will win. I think she deserves it. She's yeah, incredible. She's really movie. good. But no, it's it's the best scene in any of the movies. The dialogue is perfect there, and it's, it's Derek the, jumping on the table and singing no, a whole song no, 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 to no. Sydney no. in the middle of the cafeteria. It's Randy's My death. My star. Okay, sorry. It's Randy's death, and. It's their worst mistake because Randy could have been... Even Wes has said that like people feel... He should have been the third killer. No, he should have been there to be in the third movie. He should have he been is in the third, third movie. movie. He yeah. is. Well, yeah, he's like on tape yeah. telling the rules yeah. again. Cause Tell, that's, yeah. nah. I love when he's telling the rules for the sequel and Dewey cuts him off. He's like, okay, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. 
<laughs> Again, this movie just knows exactly what it's doing. It does. Uh, so yeah, off of Randy's death and back to the finale, when Mickey is about to reveal himself, he comes up on stage and he takes, as he's taking off the masks, mask, he says, don't you know history repeats itself? Yeah. Mm, Sid. And it's, it's the greatest line delivery Timothy Olyphant has ever delivered. Well, that's a strong statement because I think you're Timothy, a true hater. Dude, He's got some good stuff. That not some scene great stuff. is, I, it's like, it's like a high school drama production of I, I. The movie's big, and I feel like he was probably directed to go big, because everybody is kind Didn't of see it coming. Did you? It's that's fucking tough for me, dude. I love it. I'm into it. It's fun, but it like I want to be mocking him the entire time. I'm not watching a movie anymore. I'm like having fun with how ridiculous it is. Gotcha. So I mean, I I love it. I love Timothy Olyphant going fucking ham on that scene, but hardcore. It's just it is so ridiculous. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up with you because I think we're on different sides with that one. One thing I, I do like, one of the things that he says, though, and again, it points to the prescience, prescience of these movies, is he's talking about how now it's all about the trial. And these days, America loves a trial, mm-hmm. uh, which has that's true. become so true, especially in our recent pop culture with the OJ stuff and the uh, Menendez Brothers. Menendez Brothers. Uh, the trial is definitely where it's at and yeah. they were totally right about that but they just kill him off anyway that would have been a fun screen movie nah it would have been terrible the trial, the trial. <laughs> <laughs> guilty fuck off <laughs> Mickey gets broken out <laughs> I also said this to Dylan when we were watching it cause Sydney gets to a pretty badass point She's like when kicking ass. Double tap on Laurie Metcalf just to make sure. Boom, clever line about it. Ha ha ha. Walk just in case. The... Dude, how great would it be if this movie went full fast and the furious and there was just like eleven scream action like there's zombies in it now and she's fucking in outer space. It'd be so rad. I would watch One of the zombies gets the ghost face man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I-, I would watch that movie. I think everyone would watch that movie. <laughs> it sounds so insane that you can't watch. You guys that are you missing have to an opportunity. Nev Campbell, action hero. So uh, overall, you're you like Scream Two, but compared to Scream One, it holds no bar. Not even close. It's like almost a different movie. It's obviously got the same DNA, and it functions really well as a sequel. It does some of the things that the movie that the original movie does very well, and again with with like an intention or a, a understanding of self that I don't think a lot of movies have, but there's enough really distracting things for me that I wouldn't say go out of your way for it at this point, honestly. But the first one is maybe a perfect movie. There's a few things that I kind of can point at, but it's just so well executed. Yeah. So I would say a masterpiece and a pretty good sequel. I love them both. The first one, obviously, is always my favorite. But there's days when I'm just like, oh, I'm going to pop in screen too. Okay. Yeah. I still dig it so much. I do think it's a... Coming from horror sequels, it's the most superior sequel. 
Okay, that's an interesting question. Let's throw that around a little bit. Are there other really well-respected horror sequels? Because that, that's a movie that the question asks of itself. But Is there a sequel just in general. They talk more about film in general. Sure. Joshua Jackson does throw out The House 2, The Second Story, which is a fucking terrible movie. Sure. <laughs> well, there's also Troll 2. So uh, but that has sequels. nothing to do with the first Troll. I know. So he can't even classify it. Yeah, no, that's fair. And obviously we're not going to call that one of the best sequels of all time. Right. Um, well, there is The Clone Wars. That's not a horror movie. Um, I'm just skimming through the collection real quick, and I honestly can't say. Okay. I have cheesy ones. Like I still know what you did last summer. It's not superior. The first one's still pretty bad. They're both bad movies, but I love them. What about one that comes up in the first movie, which is the Friday the 13th series? Because uh, The second one is not that good. No. Okay. Fair enough. It's not, but it's Jason now. Now it is the thing that we know it is. And so... I have the second one. I actually saw that... Uh, I feel like that trend kind of presents itself in horror movie franchises where it's usually the second or third one where it kind of clicks in. Like the first Child's Play movie is very much a slow burner. It's a drama. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it very much is. It's about a little boy who gets a new doll. And then, you know, he just kind of lives his life. Some weird shit happens. And then, randomly, this doll comes to life and starts trying to kill him. And that happens <laughs> in the last 20 minutes of the movie. Right? And That's it's a so 90 bizarre minute to me. Movie. How, how they got away with that back then, even today, I feel like would not hold interest. Especially no. with a doll. Uh, it's a Rosemary's Baby style of doing stuff but cheesy so my point with that yeah it is it is a little cheesy but then by the second and third movie it's all killer doll and where we're at now in the series it's like insane I haven't gone past Seed of Chucky dude it is so nuts I want to watch them I'll watch them you gotta catch up with these movies because it's just getting fucking crazier and crazier yeah dude Dorf is still the man about it okay and now they're in an insane asylum and now they're like oh dude it's I like I love what they've done because it's just about the fucking mania you know the insanity of the movie Mm -hmm. so in that respect I would argue that there are some horror movie sequels that are certainly better than the original because they take the source material and apply it in a way that's much more fun and entertaining and maybe even truer to the to the emotional resonance of the piece mm-hmm. in some instances. I gotcha. Also, since we're on the subject, Human Centipede 2. Much better, actually. Much better than the first one. And I there think you it's go. kind of a masterpiece of a movie. It's okay. god awful, but like the way that it does what it does. Wow, yeah, that didn't come to me. I'll give you that. It feels really natural. <laughs> it feels like they knew what they were doing with that thing. Bringing in the meta. Bringing in the meta. Wow. It's all in the meta, guys. Scream and Scream 2. Oh, oh, uh, they do say this in Scream 2. Alien versus Aliens, but Aliens is not a horror movie. It's a bug creature action movie. Yeah, it's totally a yeah. It's an action movie. It's a a war movie almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a defend the ship yeah. kind of thing, and it's a blast. Not as good as Alien though. I if so if I'm just gonna put on a movie, it's gonna be Aliens. 
Really? Yeah. If I have them sitting right next to each other, 100%. Oh, I'm going the first one. Oh, good for you. First one's a treat to watch. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm not going to say anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. great movie. It's a wonderful movie. <laughs> just for me as a preference thing. I'm just two Towers versus Fellowship. Uh, probably Two Towers... Yeah, I, this kind of all comes down to a note that you get a lot, you know, in a screenplay, which is start later, jump into this thing a little bit. Uh-huh. And so Fellowship is great, but it's got a lot of front end that's kind of like, oh, fucking... It's the beginning of the journey. Yeah, it is. I like that. I, I'd still Fellowship all day. I, I mean, but I... Two Towers is a far superior film, but I like... That beginning of the journey, and always reading the books, Buckleberry Fairy, and going <laughs> to the Prancing Pony sure. was always that stuff's really some of the cool. greatest stuff. And you know what? I don't want to choose, and I don't have to choose. You don't have to choose because we like to watch them all at once. But if I had to choose between Scream One and Scream Two, you're and going I, Scream. And I want to choose between these two movies because Back to the Future, or Back to the Future Two. Uh, Back to the Future. Good. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah, I think so. Hands down, two's not that good. Actually, it's fun to watch. It's not that good. Yeah, though. I even like. I don't know. I love those movies. I even like the old west one and the third one. I, I, third one's much better than the second one. Interesting. Yeah. So I you like you're saying it goes one. in order? Yep, that is what I'm saying. Fair they enough. Did it exactly right. I'll give you that. And I think that's okay. I think you can just have. That's what Zemeckis wanted. He's like, no, this is a trilogy. He told that from the beginning, and they were like, well, let's see how the first one goes. Sure. And then you'll get to go. And Ain't that always the way. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much it for Scream 2. Uh, we can, we're can we going to talk a little about Scream 3, just okay. because uh, I find this very interesting. Uh, so, rumor, or not rumor, Kevin Williamson has said that he was not involved with Scream 3. He did have an original script where it... It was a group of high school students doing all these murders, but then the murders turned out to be fake. Like, uh, just, it wasn't real or something like that. But they had to change it because Columbine had just happened. And that script kind of eventually worked its way into Scream 4, or that idea. Um, So Aaron Kruger was brought on to write Scream 3 because Kevin had to go do one of his shows, probably Dawson's Creek at the time. And they went a little campy. Okay. For They wanted to make it more lighthearted. They didn't want people to feel the violence to be too shocking, especially with a high school crowd with hmm. what had just happened in Columbine. From what Kevin Williamson said, it wasn't that good of an idea. I don't want to be too... It's hard to make those decisions in that moment, you know, and it obviously... like. And I'm sure we don't know the whole story that he had either. That That's just a snippet of what could have been. And yeah, it could have been really good. Who knows how it went down? But they made the movie that they made, yeah. and generally, hey guys, don't shy away from your art, okay? Absolutely. But so I want to talk about the ending of Scream Three, just because it ties in very well to me with one and two. And so the whole time in Scream Three, Stab Three is being made, and it turns out the director of the movie, Roman Pierce of Scream 3 or Stab 3? <laughs> Which movie are we talking about? True. Well, we know Scream 3 was directed by Wes Craven. Okay. So, Stab 3 is directed by Roman, Roman Pierce, Pierce, who is played by... Oh, it's not Roman Pierce, is it? 
you tell me. I haven't seen Scream 3 in... I've never seen Stab 3, and I haven't seen Scream 3 in a very long time. I could be fucking up Pierce, because I believe that is Tyrese's name in Fast and the Furious movies. It's Roman Pierce. That feels right. Right? That feels right. Yeah. Roman Bridger. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, so there's a director of Stab 3. Who's played by Scott Foley. Who is Scott Foley. Okay. Uh, Party of Five. So we got the Party of Five reunion going. Yep. Uh, and it turns out that he is Sid's half-brother. Okay. Okay? Her mom had oh, this... because of her cheating mom? Well, uh, when she was... Uh, there's like five years or four years of Maureen's life that no one knows about. She left <laughs> okay. Woodsboro. You know, there's actually even more than that as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I know very little about Maureen's life. Well, watch Scream 3. Okay. Uh, so at every crime scene... The killer leaves a photo of young Maureen. And okay, that's uh, upsetting. on the back of it it all says like little notes like I know who killed her. Uh I know what you did last summer. Pretty much. Got it. Um and so we find out that she was actually she left Woodsboro, moved to Los Angeles, became a B horror movie actress. Okay. And the producer that's producing the stab movies uh, made a couple movies with her and gang banged her violently <laughs> one night. What? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, pretty sure the producer is. I feel bad that I refer to her as Sydney's whore mother because she she was a whore. Uh, well, and a rape victim. Yes, she did. Well, she kind of allowed it. They fucked her three ways from Sunday, according to Roman. Oh, and she's feeling it. Yeah, uh, probably. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, guys. Yeah. Uh, but you have, just not in a while. Fair enough. Uh, so, I'm pretty sure the producer that is, that is making Stab 3 with Roman is Roman's dad, essentially. Or one of those dudes that was gangbanging her. Okay. Because she had the baby, which was Roman. Oh, And right. uh, abandoned him. And because she, she was... The, he's the child of a gangbang. Yeah. And she... Left, went back to Woodsboro, met Sydney's dad, had her, and started this whole other so normal life. The real family that he never had. Yes, and he shows up one day at the door, and she turned him away, saying, you're Rena's child, that's not me. Big mistake, Maureen. Big mistake. And so that's when he got the idea to kill her with her own knife. And he does it. And then gets Billy and Stu. He's like, I just had to find some young kids that were... Uh, and he chose Billy because mo- uh, Sid's mom right. had the affair with the dad. See, it it, do- it really wraps up the story kind of nicely here. Well, it wraps up the story. That it does. Um, and, yeah. Long story so, short, Roman gets killed by Sid with the third stab. What, what does that mean? What is that sentence? Because... With the third stab? Yeah. Oh, from like a marketing sign? No, no, no. She goes, one, two, and he falls to the oh, ground. Oh, okay. And she comes over. They share a little moment. And he's like, at least I still got to make my movie. And he's like... She and says, stab three, right? Three. Oh, my God. Yeah, great. No, that's good. Probably I it's would enjoy to watch it. Um, but I feel like definitely watch the first one. If you have some extra time, watch the second one. And uh, if you're into gangbangs, watch the third one. Well, you don't see the gangbang, but they talk about it. 
if you're into gangbangs, check out pornography. Also, the third one has a great kill. Cotton Weary, Liev Schreiber. Oh. He's the first kill. Here's well, my second, memory but. of uh, the third one, is that where Liev Schreiber is stuck in traffic very early on in the movie... This is like the... Five. It's, supposed it's right to, before it's the, the five on Los Feliz. Yes, and, and they, it says like Hollywood Bowl something, and it's like that doesn't say that. Yeah, because I've been stuck there so many times. Yeah. Anyways, that's the LA traffic report. And then once he gets into Hollywood, there's very contradicting shots of him speeding, turning down towards Pantages, and like making a left yeah. coming up towards this apartment. And then he's all the way back down on Highland. You know what uh, movie actually did that well recently? Was the Chips movie. Oh, covering all of Los Angeles really well, yeah. And, yeah, with continuity, like, taking People a turn. People on that new Chips. I, I enjoyed it. I like those kind of movies. It's not like I'm looking for an Oscar-winning movie here. I just want to have a dumb good time. Right, and I really like Michael Pena, so I'll probably watch most of the things that I he really does. like Dax. I find Dax... Tolerable. Sometimes he he bothers me, but mostly. I'm did you like his directing though? He directed it. Yeah. Then yeah, I did. He wrote it and directed it. Dude, like I said, the the just the continuity of the chase scenes alone made me be like, oh, somebody gave a shit about this movie. And you know, he's doing all his stunts. Those are like all the cars and shit that are pretty much used. They're his. Like I he's like a it huge car more, dude. Yeah, I knew that about him. Uh, for some reason, yeah. probably like a Cribs episode or something, but. I don't know if he did a Cribs episode. It makes me like him even more. <laughs> so that's All right. chips. Well, that is this episode of Made in the 90s. We are going to try and do uh, some new stuff going forward. Yeah. Some trivia, which will come in the, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, in the immediate term, we're maybe going to talk about some stuff that we've seen lately and sing yeah. some praises. What have you seen lately? I got two that I want to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and not to brag, but I have a girlfriend. And she's <laughs> from... She's from I a, have one of those, too. No, yeah, that's true. Damn, we're doing good in life, Damn, Dylan. we are, right? Um... But she's a she's an Australian, and so she's been hipping me on some Aussie movies that I might not have ever uh, otherwise watched. And the one I want to call out is Two Hands. Are you familiar with this? Not familiar with Two Hands. It's an early uh, Heath Ledger flick, and Rose Byrne is also in it. Ah. It's kind of uh, mystical in that this guy's it's a it's a heist story gone wrong, and so there's some really intense action. There's it's. Also got a romance element to it that kind of drives the plot, although I think that needs a little more attention than it gets because of how consequential it is to the movie, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Also, the main character's brother is sort of commenting on it the whole time from beyond the grave. Um, Two hands. Two hands. Early 90s? Yeah. It also has the uh, boss's Brian... uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's an Australian guy. He's great in here. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I, it's the kind of thing that if it were if it were better served it would be one of the most popular movies you know cult movies around mm-hmm. the direction's just a little reserved maybe and it feels like there's some budgetary restraints but given what the movie does it's really awesome I liked it a lot okay so two hands is the first one I want to bring up what about you have you seen anything uh yes I got two as well okay. uh the first one for me was. I talked about it earlier, actually, was Mark Felt the, okay. that had the similar piano score as Scream. Uh, it's Liam Neeson. Okay. And he plays Mark Felt, who was Deep Throat. 
who oh, gave Bob okay. Woodward Interesting. the uh, private CIA files. Yeah. And it was actually really well done. Liam Neeson was pretty good. Is Liam Neeson only going to do action movies from now on? or does This he... is not an action by any means. No, I bet it's not. Do you think he's trying to like get away from bad action movies and do a little more character stuff? I think he's doing the action movies for money. Yeah, sure. Like, his new one that literally just came out, like, The Commuter or something. I, could, I went to the theater like, I think I'm going to go watch a movie, and then the only thing showing was The Commuter, and I was like, like no. I think I'm going to go do something yeah. else. I heard I it gets a little... pass, and I couldn't convince yeah. myself to go watch it. I heard that. it gets a little batshit crazy to where you're even like... What? Okay, now I'm gonna definitely go watch it. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> that sold your ticket right yep. there. Uh, so what's your second one? A League of Their Own. Great movie. Holy, this is weird. My my second one is a flashback to early '90s too. Awesome. Okay. We should probably do a League of Their Own in its own right. I watched it because I had jet lag because I was traveling late recently. It's. It's funny. It's it's Penny Marshall yeah, directed. So good. So it's there are some really funny bits and it, it's got this weird energy that's like like real aw shucks, yeah. like nineteen fifties TV almost that for a few minutes is distracting because I think Lori Petty's in a little over her head, especially going up against Gina Davis. Yeah, who is funny. Exactly. Low key so good. Totally. And so it it doesn't quite mesh for a little bit, but once it gets moving, the energy all really comes together, and it feels like it's a very montagey movie, but it almost feels like a, like a newsreel. Like it has the energy of a newsreel the whole time, even when it's doing narrative stuff. And so it's a weird energy, but it's a really specific energy, and uh, I I still like it a lot. There's definitely some problems, but I enjoy the hell out of that movie. Right on. My second one is City Slickers. Nice. Yes. I've been on a huge Billy Crystal kick. Okay. I listened to his audiobook, uh, which is fantastic, by the way. It's called Still Fooling Them. <laughs> really good. Uh, but City Slickers is a perfect movie. I honestly don't have a flaw with it. Wow. I don't. It's, okay. It's truly a sweet movie. I'm not a middle-aged man, but it's about that transition. Sure. And, you know, we're getting older. So I feel it's just like it, this is coming. And so when re-watching it, I just understood that more. Yeah, I get and that. And there's a line that his wife tells him. He's like, oh, I want to go on the, the my birthday vacation, but I'm not going to go. And she goes, no, you need to go. Go find your smile. And that line is like, my mantra for life okay. it's just be fucking happy and I think that movie is perfect it's about manhood and coming into your own and and Jack Palance and, Curly man and Daniel Stern Daniel Stern Bruno Kirby oh man Bruno Kirby gives the best monologue in the whole movie I haven't he's talking seen about his that. dad okay I haven't seen it since I was a kid but you're making me want to watch it again oh uh go home tonight and just Buy it on iTunes or whatever you yeah. do. I'm telling you, you're not going to regret that okay. purchase. All right. <laughs> Don't watch number two. Request <laughs> for Yuli's Gold? Curly's Gold. <laughs> something like that. I think you're right. Yeah. No, it's Curly. I just can't remember the title. I feel like it's something about gold. But... Yeah. But the first one is a perfect movie. Okay. You heard it here first, first. It really is. We'll have to do an episode on that one. Yeah. Um. All right. So, see you guys next week with... Ooh, I don't think we'll give it away. Yeah, we got a couple, so until then, I'll be right back. Ooh.